I think he took it a, a little too far. You know, you want to give players money, do it in private. I think it took a little bit of the spotlight away from some of the players, and I'm not sure if it was just the excitement that got a hold of him or if it's just like he wanted to be a part of the show. You can think a lot of things, but there's just certain things you shouldn't say to the media, especially when you're just returning from being out for a little while. I think their record right now with Kyrie is like five and, and nine or something like that. So they're struggling right now. And I think the frustration has just kind of built up. Toughest covers, definitely Steph. Obviously Kyrie, Katie, James. If you ask around the league, I think the, the list is pretty consistent with like a lot of players who are just good at a lot of different things. Welcome to the Michael Strahan episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 92. Currently in Dallas, Texas, where everything's bigger. The food, the portions of food, the hotel rooms, everything. We're coming off a nice win last night against the Houston Rockets. Uh, we are past the halfway point in this season as a team. And I think, according to our notes, we will officially be at the halfway point for all teams in the NBA after tonight. Jordan, you had a chance to watch the game last night. As you know, I'm in Dallas, Texas. We landed late. I just tried to order room service. And uh, they told me that breakfast stopped at 11. And I just never understand why... They can't make eggs after 11 o'clock um, if they're still in the refrigerator. I don't understand it at all. I know the chefs are very good at making everything. So it's it's always an interesting conversation to have when they say, let me check with the chef. Ah, oh, the perils <laughs> of NBA travel. This is, this is what's wrong with America, CJ. I mean, is there anything easier than making eggs? Seriously, other than like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I don't even know if that's easier than making eggs. So you're actually asking for something that's that's requires less diligence and prep than probably anything else. Like what else would you have ordered that's harder than that? Like would they, would they rather make a grilled chicken sandwich or something? Like I'm so confused. And I love how you said before we started recording, which was, what does that have to do with me? Tell the chef to go into the egg, go into the refrigerator and get the eggs that still work an hour later. Man, it's crazy. It's crazy, but all I know is they better have that French toast ready because I can't wait to have that French toast with the butter pecans. So you got French toast. You got some, what was it? Some some warrior killer smoothie almond milk thing? <laughs> what else, What was in there? Like, this, like chia seeds? I don't even, honestly... I just seen it, and it's called the it's called the presidential smoothie, and it's blueberry, banana, apple, yogurt, cinnamon, granola, and you know I had to get some almond milk in there. I love. I, I've I, never had it before, but it sounds amazing. My thing is, why did you need almond milk if you already went into the heavy dairy with the with the uh, French toast? Oh well, you know we got to balance our highs and our lows. See, I'm all or nothing. <laughs> I'm all or nothing. I would have gone either. You got to balance the highs with the lows, man. But I really don't drink. I don't drink normal milk anyway. So I'm telling you, oat milk. I actually have an oat milk smoothie at Jamba Juice now. CJ's World. It's it, it comes I with oat, oatmeal. You have to get it when you come out to Portland. I know, but it's only in Portland, if I'm not mistaken, right? It is. That just gives you a reason why you should travel. I know. Over I yonder. You know what? The problem is, is if I if I come to Portland, it becomes about me. It it, it becomes the Jordan show, and I don't want to take away from from CJ. Kind of like uh, the national championship game became about someone else who wasn't playing in the national championship game. Oh! <laughs> there it is. I would. <laughs> I was. I knew there was going to be a transition to uh, to Mr. Beckham. I didn't know how we were going to get into it. First impression, because obviously 
Um, we knew he was there, but we didn't expect that. My first impression was, I'm sure he was excited. He placed a bet on that game as well with probably some of his fellow teammates who may have attended the opposing school. And the excitement was overwhelming because they didn't get a chance to win a national championship while he was there. So I understand all those things. But I think he took it a, a little too far. You know, if you want to give players money, do it in private. Like, I have no problem with that. I think uh, it took a little bit of the spotlight away from uh, some of the players. And I'm not sure if if it was just the excitement that got a hold of him or if it's just like he wanted to be a part of the show um, and, and, and a, center of, a center of attention. And I'm sure, like, Alcohol probably played a factor because it's a national championship game. I'm sure they were having a great time, and uh, the buzz was probably at an all-time high. Uh, but I think he was a little out of line with some of the stuff he did. Obviously, now a warrant has been released uh, for him because of the the butt tap uh, that he that he placed on the cop. But I think all in all, you just got to be careful. You got to be careful with um, you know how you're spending your time. As we talked about offline, there was easily 50. Ex LSU players there. I know Juice was there. A lot of players who are in the NFL currently were there. Zeke, Zeke, Zeke Elliott was there as well, as many other players. And they weren't really involved in the celebration as much as OBJ was. You know, I, I, I joke and say that he celebrated like he won the national championship. So uh, I, I can only imagine how much money he won off of that game. But I think it was a, a small setback for him from a from a understanding and standpoint of you're in the NFL, you've been in the NFL for a long time. Um, people have kind of questioned your maturity historically. And I think this just, it sheds a bad light on him. And I think he's hes a good dude. I think he means well. He works hard, obviously. Um, he's used to being in the spotlight. But I think in this particular situation, he's got to take a step back and allow the players to just kind of celebrate and have their moment as opposed to you know being the center of attention. But that's just my opinion. Uh, I think everybody has a, a right to their own opinion and a right to express themselves the way they see fit. But when it becomes a distraction to the team, to the university, when they're facing shank- sanctions and potential uh, punishment from the NCAA, I think that's when it's becoming a problem. Well, there's got to be a balance. I understand to your point, Steve, that Odell was really excited, as he should be, especially if he made a wager, so good for him. It's a great moment for the school, but it it was the player's moment. That's the problem I had. You know, it takes away from Joe Burrow and Jefferson and Chase and Delpit, all these players that had an impact directly on the result of the season and the game itself. Like, this was their time, and there will be a time, an appropriate time, when Odell can express how excited he is, and if he wants to hand out money, go ahead, but not with the cameras rolling, not in the locker room. And I think the part that is most frustrating for me, CJ, is that Odell always knows when the cameras are on, and I think he's acutely aware that when he goes into the locker room, they are going to have a bullseye on him, and specifically his actions. So, when he decides to start handing out money, real money, as we've since discovered, uh, Joe Burrow went on part of my take and, and said that. Um, I have a problem with it because it, now all of a sudden, not only does it take away from the players and their moment specifically, but it then puts the school and, and the program in a precarious position of being vulnerable when it should be this great night of happiness and celebration. So um, the whole thing rubbed me the wrong way. Like, I knew when we saw him there, he was going to have some annex after the game, um, <laughs> knowing that they were going to win. You knew you knew he was going to do something like he was going to celebrate and he was going to be, you know, front and center, but not like that. And I and I had a real problem with it. And I think it, it really does speak to uh, 
his inability to just understand what's around him. You know, know know your know your your celebrity and say, okay, this is this is not my place to do this. And uh, I think he his lack of awareness really showed itself in this in this specific um, instance. Yeah, I think he has to understand that there's nothing wrong with blending in. Um, you're an icon. You're known everywhere. You're a global figure. You're going to stand out with your presence alone. So I think at times, you know, just embrace who you are and just kind of live in the moment and just relax and chill. But I think the NCAA is kind of blowing things out of proportion. Um, as it's been reported, LeBron has gotten beats, headphones for all players. He sent specialized custom cleats. But since it wasn't an actual monetary gift, Nothing was said about it, but like gifting players custom beats is definitely a gift and it's over a hundred dollars or whatever the minimum is. But um, I think they just didn't like the fact that he was handing money out on national television in the middle of the field, basically giving out handshakes. And then one of the funnier parts of this whole situation is that people on Twitter were saying, are you an alumni if you don't graduate from the university? <laughs> like, is it technically right. a gift from an alum? <laughs> because I know he left and went pro early, so technically he never graduated from the university. So it's just friends giving friends money at this point. That was actually really funny. I mean, in that case, who cares? Right. It's it's hard because you know that there's a balance there between him knowing the cameras are on him and then not having the awareness or maybe – Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's so aware that he did it all on purpose and he wants, he just <laughs> craves that attention so badly. He said he did it all on purpose. That's hilarious. When you're Odell Beckham, <laughs> CJ, and um, you're in that position, it just seems, I don't know if childish or petulant is the right word, but it's it's not it's not a mature way of, of acting, put it that way. It's very um, unfortunate to me that he would take away. Take away from their moment. You just never know, honestly. We will never know if he did it on purpose or if the moment really just got to him or if he just really yearned for being the center of attention. I think it's a combination of a few of those things. Well, also, what I was going to say is, like, the kids themselves, um, you know, they, they, all, they all look up to him. So for them, it's, it's really exciting. And they're not going to tell him, don't do this. And I wonder if anybody around him um, and I don't. I think we know the answer to this, but I wonder if anybody around them would ever just say, you know, Odell, come on. I'm sure the Browns are happy with this unnecessary spotlight that's been placed on them uh, in the summertime. Obviously, they're going through a coaching change, uh, GM change, and then their most talented player is in the news, you know, for the wrong reasons uh, at this point where he should be you know, enjoying a summer of right. travel and leisure and, and celebration on uh, a championship won by his former collegiate team. But it's it's tough. It's very tough. Well, or just go to the game and, and like you said, blend in. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. Have your moment, but let them have their moment, more importantly, like like Jarvis did. Yeah, Juice was there, but you didn't really know he was there. Unless you, unless you search through those pictures, you wouldn't have seen him because he was just there to enjoy the game and kind of blend in and allow the players to have their moment. Okay, somebody else that's not blending in since his return, Kyrie Irving. How about that for a transition? That, that was my attempt. Um, it's pretty good. Yeah, it wasn't as good, but it was it was okay. He was uh, in the news last night because after Brooklyn's loss to Philadelphia, in which Irving was minus 29, uh, he said, I mean, it's transparent, it's out there, it's glaring in terms of the pieces that we need in order to be at the next level. 
Um, he also said basically, CJ, that Kevin Durant is not the only piece that's necessary for the Nets to contend. See, I, when he went into it, I thought he was going to say, well, once we get KD back next season, we'll be fine. But then he took it a step further by saying it's uh, it's more than just Kevin. So that's where I had a problem. Had he just said it was KD, no problem. I totally agree. But uh, for someone that's missed 16 games and um, you know not played great since his return, I didn't particularly like what he had to say. Yeah, I agree, especially since he shouted out a few of his teammates um, that he thinks will be a part of their future. I think that could rub your current teammates the wrong way. You have to be very strategic about you know what you say and how you move, um, especially during the season when there's young, impressionable minds around you. You can think a lot of things, but there's just certain things you shouldn't say to the media, especially uh, when you're just returning uh, from being out for a little while. I think their record right now with Kyrie is like five and in nine or something like that. So they're struggling right now. And I think the frustration has just kind of built up. Garrett Temple's out. Wilson Chandler will be back, but he's not currently playing. DeAndre Jordan just got hurt. But I feel like this this is the statement that I think he shouldn't have said. He said, collectively, I feel like we have great pieces, but it's pretty pretty glaring. We need one more piece or two more pieces that will complement myself, Katie, DJ, GT, Spence, and Karis LeVert. So basically, he just alienated the rest of his teammates, exactly. saying that they're probably not going to be a part of the team going forward, which is exactly. a problem because you currently have to play for them. Even if they know that they're not going to be a part of the future, I don't think you should come out and say it, especially to the media, because you still need to be able to get useful minutes out of a lot of these guys and um, in terms of trying to make a, a run for the playoffs and being healthy, you're going to need everybody. And I think in this particular stage um, where they're at right now, I think that that was probably the wrong thing to say. But Kyrie's never been one to mince his words. When he feels something or thinks something, he says it. And you have to respect it because the media asks him questions and it's his job to kind of dictate where the conversation goes. But for him, he's just been forthright and honest. And I think... It's a gift and a curse when, when you behave in that manner because on one side, the media has a noteworthy quote. They're excited about it because you're giving them information. But on the other side, fans kind of judge you for speaking your mind and saying your opinion. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword. But I think in this case, he could have said some of the things, but I think he should have left out the fact that, you know, basically, you know, only five or six of those guys are a part of the future. Well, he didn't mention Joe Harris. He didn't mention Rody. He didn't mention Musa. I mean, th- these are all guys that have played a lot of minutes and in Joe Harris's case got a fairly sizable contract. So I I don't understand why he didn't do that. I totally, that was my thing. Like when you don't mention those other players that have played, what are they supposed to do now? Like it's going to be awkward. And and just for your own sanity, like do you really not care um, about how you're perceived in your own locker room? And I misspoke. He's missed 26 games. So he, he hasn't played a lot of basketball this year. I understand he's been hurt with the shoulder. That's fine. But there is confusion in that locker room. Let me just put it that put it that way, CJ, as to what's really been the case with that shoulder. How, how much time did he really need to miss? Um, and I think when it comes to him going one for seven in the fourth quarter last night, the timing is precarious to say the least. I didn't. I appreciate the fact that a player, especially one of Kyrie's stature, is going to come out and talk about um, his feelings and be honest. But I also do think there's a time and a place. And when you're just coming back from an injury and you lose a tough game on the road, that's not the time. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. And I think there's a little bit of 
uncertainty in the locker room right now. I think the Nets were off to a pretty good start. They had a rhythm established. They had a pecking order when Kyrie was out. Spencer was playing well, all-star caliber basketball. And then you bring an all-star back in Kyrie, who's ball dominant, who can take over a game, who can score in bunches, who is basically a magnet to defenses. You have to always be aware of where he's at at all times. I think that's kind of shifted the landscape a little bit because now you have Spencer out there with Kyrie. They're trying to figure out when they should be aggressive versus when they should kind of concede to the other. And then you throw in Karis LeVert, who's been hurt, and he's also a dynamic scoring guard who needs to have the ball in his hands. And you have this situation where Atkinson is trying to figure out you know, how to play all three of those guys at once and how to kind of manipulate the game from a substitution standpoint. So they have a, they have a lot to figure out collectively, not just the players, but the coaching staff on how to, how to pair the rotations, how do you get the best out of each player while maximizing their strengths and minimizing their weaknesses. So as, as Kenny said before, when he played the three-guard lineup, it worked well um, in the previous game. But then uh, last night, they kind of struggled. And I think they were like a minus 20-something. I'm not big on plus-minus, but they were outscored by like 20-something points in the fourth quarter. Um, in the 10 minutes Kyrie played, they were outscored while Spencer was out there with paired with Karras and Kyrie. But it's a small sample size, and I'm sure they'll build on it. But it's just something to be on the lookout for as the season progresses and as they get closer to making a playoff uh, push in the last 20, 15, 20 games. Yeah, I mean, I like what Brooklyn's done uh, from a personnel standpoint. I mean, what what's not to like when you bring in uh, KD and obviously you're talking about Kyrie and Spencer. I think Karras is, is going to be a really good player. He already is. Um you know, Torian Prince has not had a great year, but he's a very serviceable player. Jared Allen's one of the better young guys in the league. Uh, they have good veterans uh, with with DJ and obviously Temple and Chandler's coming back. I mean, there's a lot of good players there. Joe Harris is one of the best three-point shooters in the league. So, I, you know, for him to complain um, and, and uh, you know, voice his displeasure to me, again, I, I didn't love it. Um, but I do appreciate what you said about being a double-edged sword. We, as the media, we we always want guys to be honest, right? And we appreciate when a player doesn't dodge a question. But like you said, I and I would take it a step further as well, doesn't Kyrie CJ have a responsibility to manage that message and to control and steer that conversation to where it's it remains in a healthy point um, as opposed to this? Is that is that a responsibility for him? I think he has a responsibility as one of the leaders in the locker room to lead. And at times when you're a leader, you have to just take responsibility on yourself. I think he did that. He took responsibility for how he played. He said his teammates uh, backed him. He said they played well um, and kind of stepped up for him. But then he threw a couple subtle jabs on accident. I don't even think he I don't even think he realized, you know, what he was saying at that at that point. And then probably going back and reading over it, he's probably like, dang. And he may have just forgotten to list and name other players. He didn't want to go through the whole roster. But needless to say that when you're Kyrie Irving, they're going to make a story over anything. It doesn't matter what you say. A story is going to be made about it because you're a big deal. You're a global figure. You're a signature athlete. You're an all-star caliber player. You've won and hit big shots and big moments. So they're looking at you for quotes. They're looking at you for a base and a pulse of the locker room. So you just have to be cognizant of what you're saying and how you're moving, especially when you're in the New York market. You're in a different market now to where you're, you're, <laughs> you're in a city where... What you say really matters. 
it really matters now. And it's only a matter of time before KD comes back, even if it's next year, to where they're going to be getting asked those same questions. And I think they have a good roster. I think they have depth. Obviously, they're not healthy right now, but uh, I think they're in a good position to, to be good uh, for some years to come. Stay tuned, because when we come back, we'll talk about the toughest players to guard in the NBA. Don't go anywhere. We had a really interesting piece and in Players Tribune from Jimmy Butler about the uh, five of the most challenging players to guard. Obviously, Kyrie was on there, Harden, Curry, KD, and LeBron. If you could add one more to that list, um, you know, who I was just curious for you, like what, and don't say Dame because it, I feel like that's a really easy one to say. But like, who, in other words, CJ, who else? Uh, give me a few other names of like, some of your, your your toughest covers from uh, in terms of guards and wings. Toughest covers, um, definitely Steph. Um, obviously Kyrie, Katie, Lou Will, um, James. There's a lot of players in the league that are hard to cover because of their size, their versatility, or how they use the pick and rolls. Uh, Devin Booker. Um, there's a lot of guys who are just really good, man, and, and hard to stop. So I think if you ask if you ask around the league, I think the, the list is pretty consistent with like a lot of the players who are just good at a lot of different things, whether that's shooting, moving without the ball, ball handling, isolation, pick and roll, like Kawhi Leonard. Like a lot of those guys are just really good. Paul George's dribble pickup is so fast, it's unbelievable. He can go from crossovers behind the backs right into his shot in the blink of an eye. It's crazy how how talented he is. So I think there's just a lot of players who are just really, really gifted. Two things that stood out. One with PG two because he's like six ten. I mean what what really can you do, right? You have to really pick your poison and just live with it. With some of those guys, you just try to stay in front and make it as difficult as possible, knowing that you're going to get scored on, knowing that they're going to hit tough shots, but you just don't want to let them get easy rhythm looks. You want you want everything to be difficult and then have to work for it. CJ, one of the more intriguing parts about Steph for me is all the work that gets done before he actually touches the ball. You, you might have run through two or three different screens, maybe a pin down, a dribble handoff. By the time he actually gets it, and you've talked about this, but I was hoping you could revisit it, you've already done a lot of the work. And then he gets into his ability to go pick and roll, obviously isolate the threat of the jump shot. There's so many different factors with Steph. Well, with Steph, it's constant movement. His teammates are constantly trying to get him open, and they're always aware of where he's at on the floor. So if he's open, he's getting the ball. And if he's not open, they're going to figure out how to maneuver your defense, whether that's Draymond setting screens, whether that's Draymond constantly looking for him, whether that's the team calling plays for him, whether that's the ball movement or the strategic planning of figuring out how to get him at the ball with an advantage. They do all those things really well. And even though Steph and Clay are out now, they still have pretty good ball movement and they're in sync because of historically how they've played in the culture they've built. But it's just a lot of work chasing him around. They run the split post action where they'll throw the ball into the post to Draymond and then they cut off and it's either Clay setting the back screen for him or Steph setting the back screen for Clay and then there's just constant movement. And those guys know how to switch, they know how to read screens, they know how to slip and they figure out ways to to create that subtle subtle advantage to where when they catch the ball, it's either a shot or they have an advantage to get closer to the basket. And when those guys raise up, it's basically a foregone conclusion that it's going in. Another guy that uh, 
I think is on the list of toughest covers, CJ, is uh, is Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, you guys just uh, played them pretty recently. He's had a, a great stretch here uh, playing the point since Mike Conley's injury. Um, he is averaging over his last 14 games, over 24 points, over four assists, and my favorite part, over 46% from the field. He's also been really good from three. What have you seen with Utah that uh, has allowed them to have this great stretch of play where they've been, not only have they been one of the best teams in the West, I, I would argue that they've been pretty much on par with the Bucks, albeit in a smaller sample size over the last, let's say, five weeks since Conley's injury. I've been very impressed with how they've played with the addition of Jordan Clarkson. Since Jordan Clarkson's come, they're 11-0 and 0, or whatever the case, I think 10 or 11-0. and 0. Yeah. Um, They've played extremely well. He's getting up and down. He's helping the pace. He's giving Donovan Mitchell breaks and allowing him to get off the ball at times. I know Donovan's been doing a great job of running the show and playing point guard with the absence of Mike Conley, but they've all kind of figured out their role, the rotation. Joe Ingles has looked great as a starter. I think he's more comfortable in that role, having the ball in his hands, being a decision maker. I think he leads the team and assists to Rudy Gobert, so he's able to continue to keep Rudy involved, which keeps Rudy more involved at the defensive end. You have spacing. You got Bogdanovich, who's playing extremely well. You know, one of the rare players in the league that can score 35 points and not get one rebound, one foul, one assist, or one steal. <laughs> Talking about a guy whose job is to get buckets. He literally just knocks down shots. He gets in the Lane. He makes plays, and he's a guy who keeps the defense aware where he's at at all times. So you have the perfect spacing. You have the ball movement. You have a, a, a rim and a lob threat. And you have a guy who can come off the bench and give you 15 to 20 a night in Jordan Clarkson. So I think they've kind of figured out their identity, and uh, they're just rolling. They're rolling right now. We, we played them well in Utah. We ended up coming back um, from, a, from a larger deficit, but they, they were able to close out against us. And I think in large part, it's just the players accepting their roles. Um, I think that's been the biggest difference. And they're definitely knocking down a three-pointer at a high clip, shooting 39%, uh, which is the top three-point shooting team in the NBA. Number one in the NBA, and also they've been even better during the stretch, about 41% uh, winning the last 10. You mentioned Clarkson. Uh, CJ, maybe I was wrong. Like I, when they traded Exum, I thought they waited. I thought Utah waited too long. Uh, they wanted so badly since he was a top five pick for him to really be a, a star player or at least a, a high level starter. Uh, it did not happen, and as a result, they make the trade. And I, like, it's not that I don't like Clarkson. I just didn't see him being this efficient um, and shooting the ball this well. And really embracing his role um, off the bench the way that uh, the way he has is Clarkson like is he enough? Do they need another piece? Are they a contender right now? Because we just went through a list of what six names that uh, you mentioned Ingles, who's been excellent after a sluggish start. He's really become the guy. I think the uh, the impetus to a big part of their offense in terms of the starting lineup. But do they need another piece before the deadline, or uh, is Utah a legitimate contender right now? I think they're definitely a contender just based on the home court advantage that they have. If they get a high seed, they'll be at home. They play well at home. Guys will be more comfortable. Donovan is going to play well. I think the role players will play better at home. But I think what people don't understand is that Jordan Clarkson is is very good. Talking about a guy who who is a volume scorer, who scores in bunches. Um, he was efficient in Cleveland, but I think one of the problems with playing with uh, – 
Garland and a uh, sub 500 team or a team who's, who's kind of struggling. Yeah, other guards. Right. He's playing with Garland and Sexton, two younger players. He's in Cleveland. It's, it's not the greatest environment right now. There's a lot going on there. And I think the stigma gets attached to you when you're playing on a team that's, that's underperforming. You, know, you get, you get kind of thrown and grouped in with the team to where they think that you're just putting up empty numbers on a bad team. But this is a guy who can put up numbers on a good team. He can be efficient. He wants to win. He knows what it takes to win. He's played with LeBron. He's played with he's played with Kyrie. He's played with different players to where he has an understanding of what it takes uh, to be an NBA player. Like This is a guy who's very loved by his teammates. Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson, they all got along extremely well. I know Jordan personally, and he's just a good dude. So it was just it was a no-brainer for me to... When they made the trade, I was like, oh, they got better. Um, they got better for sure. He's going to help improve their roster. And I think when the playoffs comes, it just gives them another guy who can play make. You need people who can make plays for themselves and others, especially in the playoffs. When it comes down to half court, the uh, full court game isn't as, as magnified. It's hard to generate easy points. So you need guys who can just go get buckets. And I think he's a guy that's going to change their team. Obviously, Mike Conley is going to be coming back at some point. He has playoff experience. He's going to find his way with Utah. Obviously, he was struggling early on trying to figure out, you know, when to get his versus when to set guys up. But I think that uh, they're in a position to do some real damage, especially if they can hold on to one of the higher seeds. But that's the great thing about the NBA. There's so many games left. A lot of things can happen and trades can still be made uh, for the next month or two. Well, for what it's worth, I would argue that that then, to your point, Jordan Clarkson to is to Utah now what Will Barton is to Denver. Volume, uh, microwave off the bench, can score in bunches, professional, professional scorer. Is that a good comparison? I think it's a decent comparison, but Will is taller, shoots less threes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and, and and they're starting Will. Will's been starting. He's been a huge piece uh, for the Denver Nuggets. He's been a guy who's generated assists. He can run the offense. He gets out and runs in transition. But I get what you're saying in terms of explosive scoring. They both can score in bunches. Um, they're both really good in pick and roll, like to drive right. Um and are just known as guys who who get buckets, like you said before. Will's the ultimate um, bucket getter in terms of his style of play. He can be flashy. He can get to his spot and raise up. He can dunk on you, and he can get a rebound and lead the break. So I I really like both of their games, and I think that was a huge huge pickup for the Utah Jazz. Getting a guy who's going to fit into your culture, and right away has made a difference and impacted your team. I didn't realize that Barton had started every game this season. Yeah, for some reason I thought. They they moved him into the starting lineup, but he has literally not missed a start. Exactly. That means he 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 earned it outright. He took it outright in, in the offseason. Yeah. This, this is my job. My uh, my apologies to Will. I mean, he's I I've always liked him. Uh, Earl told me he was one of the best scorers he's ever seen. You said that he, he averaged 15 points, seven rebounds a game as well, and also four assists. He's had a great year in Denver, and uh, obviously. Someone that has already gotten his bag, he'll get another one. Um, last point on Utah, CJ. To uh, to your point about lineups, the the lineup right now of raw plus minus, and I know you don't love that stat, but when it's when it's five guys, I think it's worth noting. the The top two lineups in basketball is Denver with Barton, Harris, Jokic, Millsap, and Murray. That's plus one forty nine. Plus one forty seven is Bogdanovich, Gobert, Ingles, Mitchell, and Royce O'Neal. Um, and then when you throw in Clarkson, there are numbers actually uh, even go higher, although it's a smaller sample size. So that gives you a sense of how good Utah has been. And, uh, 
like how good the West is, um, specifically uh, up top. So when you think about what where Portland's at right now, we have a lot of Blazer listeners. You had a one of your best wins of the year at Houston last night. We've been saying for a while we're a week away, we're two week away, two weeks away. We're Where's Portland right now as we get ready for the All-Star break uh, coming up? I think we're heading in the right direction, but we're still trying to figure things out. And we're injured. We're on a road trip. We're doing some soul searching because uh, we're, you know, six, seven games under 500 um, in position to kind of make a push for eight, trying to get to seven. Um, but we understand that we've dug ourselves quite the hole. And in the Western Conference, it's hard to climb back from that. So you have to be consistent defensively. You have to understand, you know, the scouting report, what the coaches are expecting from you. And then you have to go deliver. And I think we went and delivered last night on the road in Houston. We got a tough one tomorrow against Dallas. And then we wrap it up with a back-to-back going to OKC, who's also playing extremely well and has been on a winning streak uh, until they drop one the other night. So we just got to go compete. That's the biggest thing. Go compete. Give yourself a chance in the fourth quarter and try to steal every game going forward. Don't go anywhere because after the break, we'll talk about the return of Zion Williamson, John Moran's Rookie of the Year case, and we'll get into a spirited debate regarding Dylan Brooks and the Memphis Grizzlies. New Orleans is not in the playoffs right now. I wonder with Zion coming back, what... Uh, what that will mean for them, uh, if they can organically basically creep up into the playoff conversation. What would be, like, when, when in terms of Zion coming back, what would be the ideal situation? How do you see him uh, fitting in, especially when he's on a minute count, like, or I guess I guess the first couple, uh, you know, few few games here. I just expect him to bring energy. I think he's going to bring a different type of life to the team. Uh, obviously, he's explosive. He gets out and runs in transition. Uh, he was playing extremely well in the preseason, kind of you know showing his efficiency, showing his ability to finish around the basket and how he can rebound and get out and run. But I think he's just going to open the game up even more uh, for a guy like Ingram, for a guy like Drew Holiday, for Alonzo, who loves to push the ball in transition. I think it's going to create uh, more havoc for a lot of teams, but it's going to take some time for him to kind of settle in in the normal NBA games, the normal pace. Uh, we're halfway through the season, so guys are already in shape. Guys have already kind of found the rhythm, so it's going to take him some time. But once he kind of figures things out, I think it's a no-brainer that he's going to help their team. Okay, with Zion Williamson, CJ, he's set to return, as we know, January 22nd, and it will be his first NBA action since Summer League, so first official action. Zion Williamson wins the Rookie of the Year if... He doesn't. John Morant won that Rookie of the Year award <laughs> 20 games ago. Okay, but what if in theory Zion comes out, he averages 20, and New Orleans gets back into the playoff conversation, and he has his barrage of dunks? Doesn't that at least make him a contender? John Morant's body of work right now, you're talking about like 40 games of 18, 7, Four shooting 48 from the field, shooting 40 from three. Like, no matter what Zion does, he'll only have played, you know, what, 40 less games than Ja. So it's, he would have to do some spectacular stuff to win, to win the rookie of the year off of 40 games. Well, I said, I mean, it's easy to say now, but if you go back and watch the tape, I was, uh, I was very high on Ja Morant early on, CJ. You know, that's that's my claim to fame. Not that it was uh, some big, big surprise. What has surprised me about John Moran, CJ, is the shooting. You mentioned the efficiency. 
Um, when when you see John Morant, is there now that he's had a a, a big enough sample size? Is there an NBA comparison that we're looking at? Is is he? I mean, I, I I've always said this, but there's a lot of Russell Westbrook to me. He's not as big, but his ability to get downhill, the attacking. That's the comparison if I had one. But he's already a better shooter, so maybe that's not fair. They're two completely different players. I think Jaws pace is different. He's got more slow fast. He's got explosive bursts around the basket. Obviously, can dunk. But Russ's end-to-end speed is crazy. I think Ja plays with a different type of pace. Uh, he gets in and out of his stuff. He's obviously more efficient than Russell was early on in his career. I don't know too many rookies that shoot 48 from the field and 40 from three, uh, especially guys who were criticized for their lack of ability to shoot. He's kind of done a 180 and showed that not only can I play with pace, but I can knock down shots at a high clip efficiently throughout the season. Well, I, I love the one-two punch there with Jaron Jackson and Moran. I think you could not have scripted a better, um, I don't even know if it's fair to call Jackson a complimentary piece at this point. because I think he is going to be an all-star. But he's one of the best shooters like in the world right now, Jaron Jackson is. Do you think... That with those two, Memphis within, let's say, two to three years, assuming they continue to build around, is Memphis a, a contending team in the West? Are they? Let me actually change the question. Is does Memphis have right now with this core, uh, and obviously Brandon Clark is there as well. He's been excellent. The rookie out of Gonzaga. Does this core of Memphis have a higher upside than the Grind City did with Zach and uh, and Mike and and Mark? I definitely think this Memphis team has a high upside. I'm not sure if it's going to be higher than uh, the teams in the past with Mark, with Mike Conley and those guys. But I definitely feel like they're going to be good for a long time uh, with their ability with their ability to get out and run in transition. They play a fast brand of basketball. Like you said before, Jaron Jackson is a versatile big who can knock down threes. He can dunk on your center. He can lead the break. Um they have Dylan Brooks, who's, who's shown versatility and ability to knock down shots and defend at a high level. I really like what I'm seeing with this team. Uh, I'm not sure if you can compare them because of the brand of basketball is completely different. Mike Conley uh, was more side pick and roll, wedge screen, San Antonio weak, San Antonio strong actions, uh, methodical transition threes, getting to his spots, floaters. Um, Ja likes to get out and run. He plays a flashier brand of basketball. The no-look passes are behind the backs. He's celebrating. He's engaging the fans. Jaron Jackson's hitting seven, eight threes in a game, you know, for a big man. I think the brand of basketball is different. Obviously, the game has kind of shifted and changed from more of a ground and pound to more of a uh, pace and space type of game. So I think that's the difference. And they're both very good. They're both going to have bright futures uh, and will continue to kind of shift this league in that direction. Uh, you mentioned Dylan Brooks. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say he is the best. I, I actually think he's the best perimeter scorer or wing scorer um, that Memphis has had since Rudy Gay. Whoa. Whoa. Say that again. Just say that again just so I'm hearing you correctly. Okay. Dylan Brooks is the best like wing score they've had since since Rudy Gay. So not I'm not talking about Morant. I, I'm not talking about Jackson. I'm talking about a real wing, a, a guy that is a legitimate three man. Since Rudy Gay, they haven't had a guy like that. I don't know. I don't know too many. The only wing I can think of is Tony Allen. Tony Allen couldn't score, dude. Exactly. But that wasn't his role. That wasn't his job. Courtney Lee. Courtney Lee is a serviceable player. He's a good player. 
Um, but he can never score like Brooks. He was, I mean, he's more of like a one one dribble pull up. Guy. Brooks is getting in the basket. I would say Tyreek Evans, but he he's more of a lead guard. Exactly. Brooks is averaging over. You're, hey, you brought him up. He's averaging over 15. He's shooting 39 percent from three. Um, and he gets. Does he get to the line a little bit? I brought him up, but you saying he the best score wing score they've had since Rudy Gay. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, let me think about well, this let's before go through I it. actually agree yeah. with you. Let me let me think about let me think about all the players that have played there since Rudy Gay. It hasn't been that many. Well, exactly. So that's why I'm saying it's and it's a big state blanket statement, but when you actually really look at the personnel, you talked about Tony Allen, obviously one of the great def- perimeter defenders in the last 15 years, but he can never score. Um you know, Brandon Clark is very good. I, I like him a lot, but he's he's on the block a little bit more as well. But he's he he actually I think has the upside to be an all star or at least a high level score, you know, high level starter. He's averaging over twelve and six as a rookie. And 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 you know, obviously they've had some players there, but no no but Brooks is different. And I, I didn't think he was gonna be a, a really good pro. So I'm totally in the uh, in the wrong here. I was obviously Wrong with with him. I mean, you know, he's really become a legitimate NBA player. But CJ, when you go through the personnel, I'm. Are you agreeing with me or no? You're not agreeing. With me. I can't agree until I know more facts. I think that the statement you made could be accurate. Wait, you're tweeting right now. I am tweeting. You're tweeting right now. <laughs> I'm always on Twitter. You know what? I am so sick of your shit <laughs> tweeting during our during our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I am I am appalled. The funniest part is that you must have alerts you, on because I literally just sent that tweet. But I think Of course I have alerts I on. I think me. that it's hard to actually know because I'm not seeing all the threes and wings that have played there since then, like on paper. It's I feel like I'm missing someone. But as you say it, it could make sense. I mean, based on him averaging fifteen, Rudy Gay was there, but then Tony Allen was there for so long they didn't really have any other wings. Um that played because he was that was his position like that's where he started at yeah gay i'm not saying brooks is in gay stratosphere i'm saying because when gay was in memphis he was terrific but um, since then also another guy that that you know has been quietly really good almost has has a little bit of marcus smart to him he's not there yet but d'anthony melton who played one year at usc um he he's been quietly very good for them. I, I like him a lot. He's a young guy. Houston traded him. It's interesting when when the Rockets drafted him. I remember I was sitting down with um, with Daryl Morey at summer league, and I spent a little bit of time with him. And we talked about Melton, and he talked about how much he liked him. But then the opportunity to move him came up, and as we know in the NBA, um, guys are moved all the time that GMs like. It's just part of the business. And Melton has found a home in Memphis, so that's a. That's another guy. I, I like Memphis's team. They got a lot of good young players. Yeah, I like Melton. I like his pace. I think he's a little bulldog in terms of not being afraid to go compete on on both ends of the court. So I think I think they're going to be good. They're going to be good for a little while. You literally tweeted, "Y'all sick?" Because was it KD that didn't mention Steph as a top five cover? He didn't. So that this page posted two minutes of Steph scoring on KD. It is ironic. I will say it's a little funny that he didn't mention it, but but uh, Jimmy did. So so there you go. <laughs> he said y'all sick, and it really is two minutes of straight one on one buckets, like no pick and roll, no help. It's just all one on one. But I, you're gonna this which is, makes it even funnier. This is not the end of this. This whole 
I'm going to tweet DM during pod recordings. I shut everything off. I, I other than my internet connection, phones are off. You know that's not true because I've heard your phone vibrating on multiple occasions during podcasts. That's in the past. Okay. <laughs> that's in- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then and then and then I'm like, bro, turn your vibration off. Put your phone on silent. That way, if you get a message, it doesn't. <laughs> I know it's really bad. I don't do that. I don't do that anymore. I'm I've, I've matured. Uh, I try to be in the moment. Okay. <laughs> That's in the past. Um, it's in the past, yeah. CJ, the, the last thing for me today is this. If Lehigh, what would it take for you to be in the Lehigh locker room going crazy? Not like Odell, but, you know, going crazy. Would it be a birth to the tournament? Like an NCAA tournament win or two? Okay. I would be hype because I would probably have bet on it. So I'll be really hyped, but I still wouldn't be out there. I wouldn't be out there handing out money. And <laughs> I love it. I that's love just it. not me. I've been to games. I sit. I sit. I might cheer and stuff, but like I just sit there and kind of blend in. Like even when I go to watch my brother play, like I'm not trying to be the the focal point of the show. Like I'm there to watch him. Like I go. I go to Europe. I watch his game. I sit courtside or whatever, and I just cheer. And I'm, I'm a fan. Game ends, and I'm his brother. You know what I'm saying? Like it's. It's just not in me to do stuff like that, but to each his own, you know? Well, it's like you see LeBron, we see LeBron go to games and, you know, he'll he'll interject himself, but I, for the most part, he does a really good job of trying to sit back and let his kids, you know, be the focal point. And it's like if LeBron can do it, and he's keenly aware of when the camera the cameras are always on him, if LeBron can do it, uh, other than a few, you know, times where he's really become a part of the conversation, then I would assume that Odell can do it if he wanted to. Right, and the difference in this situation is that LeBron is literally cheering for his kids. Right, he helped bring those kids into this world. Like that's a parent cheering. When you're cheering for your peers and your friends, it's completely different. You're talking about your seed. Like that's a whole different type of love, appreciation, and admiration that you have for that child because it's yours. So that's kind of different. And he still has done a good job. And that's just support. Like you want people to be present in their kids' lives. And you're talking about a guy who's in the NBA, but is still present in his kids' lives. It's hard to do that. So you you got to give respect to those those fathers out there and, and mothers who are working women and men in, in professional worlds and are still able to support their kids at the highest level. That's that's important. And I think that deserves, you know, admiration and, and cheers, not like demoralization and, and, and people bringing them down. Like that's completely different. That's his kid. I agree. Yeah. You want to celebrate when your kid scores, celebrate. Cause I'm going to celebrate it. When my son or daughter does something great, I'm going to celebrate it. Like it's the best thing that ever happened. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And even with LeBron, like I know he does layup lines, but you know, he's, it's, it's a very positive, you know, um, interaction um, that isn't like, I don't know. It just it, it feels more authentic than what Odell did. So so we can close the loop on that. You mean he wasn't handing money to twelve year olds? Yeah, he wasn't. <laughs> he probably bought all the gear. Yeah, he's giving them shoes for sure, but that's that's allowed. Yeah, that's allowed. One one last tidbit of the day: Atlanta has traded guard Allen Crabb to Minnesota for point guard Jeff Teague and Travion Graham. League sources say Hawks get a backup for Trey Young. And Alan Crabb gets reunited with Jake Lehman, Shabazz Napier, Noah Vonley, Coach Vanderpool, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, CJ, Minnesota has wanted to move Jeff Teague for quite some time. 
He's in the final year of a three-year deal worth $19 million. He had a negative 3.9 rating this year in 34 games. Uh, they moved him to the bench. It just never worked out, really, uh, especially this season, considering some of the issues he was having with Carl Anthony Towns and not really meshing with Andrew Wiggins. So it's a good move for the Wolves in the sense they move on from Teague, and it's a good move for the Hawks, I would say, because now they have a legitimate backup point guard who's played a long time in this league uh, for Trey Young. No, nothing should be made of it. I think it was just one in which both teams were trying to make some changes. One team wanted to get off some cap relief and get a backup point guard. The other team wanted to, you know, open up a potential roster spot for the future in the event that they want to make more trades. I think it made sense for for both teams in this case. For what it's worth, uh, Trey Young has his combined usage is third behind two players at 45%, behind uh, Luka and James Harden in terms of um, basically it's 35% of his of the Hawks' plays this season have ended with a Trey Young shot or a trip to the free throw line, and the other 10% have uh, been, a, been an assist. So he needed a backup, uh, and it would be sensible for them to play Teague and Young together, I would imagine, and also maybe allow Trey to play, let's say, three minutes less a night. Um, and then, uh, in terms of, in terms of, uh, Minnesota, I think just moving off of, of Teague is a, is a plus. So I think this is the one, one of many deals that we'll see. Yeah. It's the beginning of a lot of changes, uh, happening across the NBA. So stay tuned. And as we always like to say, we are the halfway point halfway through, through the season, a lot to be determined going forward. Uh, after all-star break, it's a sprint to the finish line. And by finish line, I mean playoffs, end of season, and finals. So stay tuned. We appreciate all our listeners out there tuning in faithfully. I hope you enjoyed the pod. Shout out to all my Browns fans out there. This is the best time of the year where we speculate on draft picks and kind of figure out what we're going to do moving forward. Can't wait. Hopefully, OBJ can beat this little case here that he's fighting now that he's... uh, has a warrant out for his arrest. Uh, Wish him another month the best as, as we move forward. Baker, I know you're working on your craft, man. Enjoy some vacations and get back in the lab because we need a better performance next season and I'm sure we're going to get it from you. Can't wait to see what happens. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, radio.com backslash pull up with CJ or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up. Pull up. Pull up.